Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. Join us as we journey together through the book of 1 Peter in our current series entitled Living Hope. We pray that this message will encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at bluffhurst.com. How many of you have ever been to California? Anybody ever been to California? A few of you, okay. If you ever find yourself in San Jose, California, I recommend you visit the Winchester Mystery House. Some of you like uh, these old historic places and the ghost tours and all that stuff. Uh, but the Winchester Mystery House is Sarah Winchester's house. And she was married uh, to the owner of the Winchester Rifle Group. And when he passed away, she's the heiress. And in the late 1800s, she inherited $20 million. How many of you would like $20 million? I'm going to make it better for you because in the 1800s, $20 million would be about like a half a billion today. So she inherited half a billion dollars, literally probably more money than she knew what to do with, uh, but she's a superstitious woman, and she, she, man, she was kind of afraid of having all this money, and she, she visited uh, a medium, a psychic, and, and this psychic told her that if she would begin building a house, and, and if she would never stop building the house, that she would have everlasting life, that she'd be immortal, that she would not die if she just keep building a house. And lucky for her, she had enough money to keep doing it. And so for the next 38 years, around the clock, she had crew after crew after crew working on this house. Six kitchens. Who needs six kitchens? She had six kitchens. 40 stairways, if you take the tour, part of it's fascinating because some of the stairways literally lead to nothing. They lead to dead ends because the the MO was just build, 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 keep building, keep building, keep building. 160 rooms, check this out, 10,000 windows. So much Windex, right? 10,000 windows. The house, shocking, never finished. Uh, I got another picture of it. It covers six acres, okay? The house itself, if we go to this next picture here, looks like a neighborhood. That's one house. Room after room after room after room built onto the house. Now, I asked the eternal Sarah Winchester to be here today. She died in 1922. Poor Sarah, right? Building and building and building a home hoping for immortality, building a home that never was complete in a much better way and for much better reasons and with much more foresight and foreknowledge. God is building a house. God is building something that is not done yet, and he's been building it for a couple thousand years, this old house we call the church. God is building a house. He has a building plan. God has a building plan. He's the architect. He has the blueprint. His son, Jesus Christ, said, I will build my church. How fitting that God is the architect and Jesus is the carpenter. We got Bible jokes here. This is great. But he says, I'm going to build my church. And the question for us this morning is, how do we be a part of that? Where do we Come in. Turn with me to First Peter chapter two. How many are glad we're in chapter two? We were in chapter mo- chapter one for months. I almost said chapter months. Pretty much the same thing. We're in chapter two, starting in verse 
Four. Again, I want to welcome you to Bluff First this morning. So glad that you're here. You could be sweating somewhere else, but you're here and uh, hopefully nice and cool and enjoying uh, worshiping with us this morning. My name is TJ. I'm the lead pastor here. Delighted to have you and excited to preach today because next week we start something we do every year called Neighbors and Nations, and we have guests, missionaries, and different speakers come, and they're going to be awesome, but that means I don't get to preach again until July 11th, the week after the 4th of July, and so I'm excited. Hey, come don't be too excited. So I don't get to preach. Yeah. Woo. Cheer me up. Um, <laughs> tough crowd today. Elbow somebody, tell them wake up. All right. If you're listening on like Spotify or something, the crowd is a tough one today. Okay. Hopefully you're doing good. Okay. First Peter chapter two, verse four. We're continuing our series through first Peter called living hope. Verse four, Peter says to us, as you come to him, who is him? Sunday school answer, Jesus. As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need your word. We need your help. I need your help. I need your help every, every Sunday. If I don't have your help, it's really bad. So help us today. I have words prepared, but you want to speak to us through your living word. Speak to each heart through your Holy Spirit exactly what it is they need to hear from this passage, from this text. That's our prayer. In the strong and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Our verses mentioned uh, two different types of living stones that he's building with. And so if you're taking notes in your journals there, I want you to write down living stones or underline where you see these phrases, living stones. Verse four says, you come to him, you come to Jesus. He's a living stone rejected by men, accepted by God. And then verse five says, you like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, we have, we have covered already in this series some paradoxical pairings, if you will, which is a mouthful. We have covered some times where Peter uses words that don't seem to go together. He talks about us being elect exiles. How are we chosen outcasts? We looked at that. And I can't think of a better like oxymoron than this one, living stones. We talk about stones being cold, stones being dead, something being dead as stone. We talk about stones and it's not very lively. Some of you guys are old enough to remember pet rocks. Anybody remember pet rocks? Did anybody have a pet rock? Like, yes, okay, awesome. This is maybe the greatest marketing scheme of all time. Like, hey, we're running out of toy ideas. What do you got, you know? What if we threw a rock in a box, sold it for 20 bucks, you know? And it was an awesome pet. You could take this pet anywhere. You didn't have to walk it. You didn't have to feed it. You didn't have to clean up after it. People literally were buying pet rocks, drawing smiley faces on them. Problem with the pet rock, they're kind of boring. There's no life. There's no no personality. Peter speaks of Jesus Christ as the rock who had all the strength, all the solidarity of the strongest rock you can imagine, but he's a living stone. He's not a pet rock. He's not a $20 paperweight, 
okay? He's alive and active. And as we look at living hope, Peter would say that living hope is only found in the one and only living stone, Jesus Christ. Surely, um, we have to always consider context when we study the Bible. We love, at Bluffers, we love the Bible. We love talking through the Bible. We want you to study it. We want you to read it. We want you to get it into you. I'm not up here to just tell stories and impress you. I'm up here to unpack the Bible with you. And so if we're thinking about Peter and where Peter grew up and who his audience is, what is he thinking about as he talks about stones and temples and priests? Certainly, he's thinking of the temple in Jerusalem with its massive stone structures, its priesthood systems, its courts and various levels that certain people could go into and out of, you know. Certainly he's thinking of this. Now, if you go to Israel, you're going to see, maybe to your surprise, if you're from southeast Missouri, just kidding, I don't say Missouri, okay? Those people, anyway. <laughs> if, you're, if you're from here, everything's built with lumber. Everything's built with, with two-by-fours, right? But if you were to go over there, uh, that's uh, lumber, trees are not an abundant natural resource. What they do have lots of is rocks, okay? It's a drier place, and so there's lots of stone, and so nearly everything is built out of stone. Needless to say, um, some of their buildings are much more stable than ours, and they've been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Some of them that were built well, still standing. Now, the flip side of that is sometimes you build something out of stone, you don't build it right, and it doesn't last very long. It crumbles, it falls apart. But Peter, certainly, thinking of the temple, writes to us and says, listen, God is building his church, and it's not the temple in Jerusalem. He's building a spiritual house that's not contained inside of four walls, but he's living in this new temple that is his people. He's building it with living stones, and he's building it on a living stone, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But it's fascinating to me that he calls Jesus the living stone, and then he says, and then we, like living stones, are being built into this house. We are living stones too, okay? The call to come to Jesus is to become like Jesus. Now, what does this mean? If Jesus is the living stone, okay, he's solid, he's strong, but he's living. Certainly, you and I are not Jesus, Okay, I didn't speak the heavens into existence. I wasn't there at the beginning. I, I'm, not, I'm not that type of living stone. But what does it mean for us to be living stones like Jesus? Simply put, it means this. His life is in us. He's living. He's a stone. His strength is in us. You once were dead, now you're alive. You once were weak, receive his strength. And in him, God is going to build something great with us. We're kind of like the opposite of gargoyles. Anybody ever seen the gargoyle? Maybe you remember the old like 90s cartoon, the gargoyles? Here they are. They're these cold, lifeless statues, but at nighttime, right, they come to life. We are the opposite. We are these cold, lifeless stones that come to life, not in the dark, but in the light of the sun, Jesus Christ. We come to life, and we are, are no longer these cold, sterile, boring, pointless, meaningless uh, beings. We come to him, and we have purpose. We have life and life abundantly. We have joy. Backwards gargoyles. I don't know how you say that. Louis Gargs. 
the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Listen, Christianity is the only religion in the world in which the one who is the object of the worship, their life becomes the life of the worshipers. Nobody says, I am in Muhammad, I am in Buddha, but we are in Christ. And he is in the people business, he builds people up. Listen, um, if you go to a church or listen to a preacher or hang around some Christians or follow their, their social media account and all they do is tear other people down, whether it's other Christians or it's people outside of the faith or it's people of a different political party or whatever, if you're around people and all they do is tear people down, let me just tell you, that ain't Jesus. Jesus builds people up. Now, he'll tell people the truth, and he'll correct people, but he builds people up, amen? Tearing people down is not, is not what Jesus does. He's in the people business. And, and listen, he's building his church, and that's not a building. Now, there's nothing wrong with a nice building. How many of you are glad this morning that we have air conditioning in Jesus' name? Right? Some of you are like, it's a little too much air conditioning if you just you know, adjust it, but we're glad for it, right? We don't want to be in here drenched in sweat. We're grateful for a nice building. How many are grateful there's a room that we can check your kids into and you can enjoy the service, right? We're grateful for the building, but that's not what he cares most about. He cares about people. God has a building plan. He's building a church, and he wants to use you. He wants to use the gifts that he's put inside of you. He wants to use your words even to build other people up, and to build others, and to reach the world. Now, how many of you have tried to buy any building materials lately? Anybody? <laughs> Whew. I mean, I got some trees in my yard that I'm like, that's got to be worth a million dollars right there. I'm going to cut that thing down, you know? It's expensive right now to build anything. And at the, at the risk of being corny here, like, let's think for a second at the price that God paid for his building materials. He's building a church with us. What did he pay for us? The highest price. You might not feel like you're worth much, but the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you says otherwise. The proof is in the purchase, man. There's a receipt of what he paid for you. You were worth the very blood of the son of God. And so here's the fascinating thing. Unlike any other building material in the world, we get a choice. I've never been to uh, Menards or Home Depot and bought a two by four and took it home and it said, hey, I don't feel like being a part of this project. Now, listen, those of you who know me know I ain't got no projects going on anyway, okay? <laughs> but go with, the, go with the story. Most building materials have no say. They're simply just used. We have a choice what type of project we want to be affiliated with. We either get to be a part of the kingdom of God, the temple of God, the church of God, the body of Jesus Christ. We get to be a part of what God is building in the world, and he's been building for 2,000 years, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's going to keep building no matter how dark it gets, no matter how messed up it gets. Jesus said, I will build my church. And we get to say, yes, I'm part of that. Or we could be used to build facades and little playhouses that the winds of time will blow away, that will not last, that will not stand. 
how amazing that he would pay for us and use us and give us a choice. What a God we have. Now, we don't go to the temple. We are the temple. Amen? Secondly, we don't go to a priest. We are the priest. Look at verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We've been made living stones. We've been made living sacrifices. Just like we are the temple, we don't go to the temple. We are the priest. We don't go to the priest. Consider the role of an ancient priest in the temple. You had to go to the priest with your prayer request. You had to go to the priest to be forgiven of your sin. You had to go to the priest for just about everything. And the priest had certain duties. They were to live a certain way, hold up certain standards, and make certain sacrifices for people. They had to be holy, right? Well, Peter's going to call us again and again throughout this letter to live holy lives. But let's jump outside of 1 Peter for a moment. Romans chapter 12. What does it mean that we're living sacrifices? It's right here. Romans 12, verse 1, very popular verse. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do I worship God? I give him me. We are living sacrifices. Now, we have access to God today like only the priests would have had in that day. You and I can wake up in the morning and open our eyes and pray, and God hears us. That's crazy. That would have been crazy to a first century Jew to not have to go through any ritual, to not have to go through a priest, to, to boldly approach the throne of God just in prayer, to be able to sing like this and, and be in his presence. That's crazy to them. And so with that access comes some responsibility. We lay down our bodies. We lay down our lives as a sacrifice. That looks like, God, listen, my hands are not just my hands. They're your hands. The work I do is not just work. It's worship. The gifts that come through these hands, they're yours. I give them back to you. The money I earn, God, I trust you with my finances. The stuff I do with my hands, God, it's yours. My lips are not my lips. It's not just, I'm not just worried about getting things off my chest and saying what I feel, but I wanna, I wanna listen to the scriptures that say, let nothing come out of my mouth except that which builds up the church, the body builds up one another. I wanna check what I say with what the scriptures say and make sure that I'm speaking truth and love. My mouth is yours. My feet, God, are yours. I sacrifice the, the plans, the steps of my life to you. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, even Indiana. <laughs> so we're like, huh? Our executive pastor is moving to Indiana, planning a church, and we're sad about it, okay? My life is yours. This is a sacrifice. We belong to him, and we cannot give too much. Listen, if you could fit your whole body into one of our giving boxes, you would not be giving too much to God. He deserves all you can give. And so we are living sacrifices. Let's look at a couple other sacrifices mentioned in the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 
verse 15 and 16, talk about two more ways that we can sacrifice to him in a way that pleases him. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Somebody say praise. Offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So listen, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices. We give ourselves to God. Then we offer up a sacrifice of praise from our lips, from our bodies, from our expression. We lift our voices. We lift our hands. Why do we do that? Because God tells us to. It pleases him. Why is it a sacrifice? That sounds painful. Like, shouldn't praise just be something that you feel like doing and just spontaneous and feel good? And, and when, you get, you know, when you get the butterflies, you just lift your hands and sing. It shouldn't it just be about what you feel. No, it's a sacrifice sometimes. Can we be real? I know you don't believe this because I'm the pastor. I come in here some Sundays and don't feel like praising. I come in here some Sundays and you know, I'm prepared and everything, but... I, I'm not thinking like, oh, it's what a great day to be in the presence of God. Sometimes I'm, I'm going, oh, where is everybody? Why is this sermon going to be so bad? I didn't drink enough coffee. I don't feel like doing this. That's why it's a sacrifice. Listen, you don't, you don't wait until the days where you're flooded with emotion to tell your kids you love them, I hope. You tell them every day. You don't wait until you're really feeling inspired to cook dinner. No, your family eats every day. And listen, that doesn't make you fake. It makes you faithful, right? Nobody would say, oh, what a fake parent. You love your kids even when you didn't feel like it. No, that's being a good parent. So, so listen, don't come to church and go, well, I can't lift my hands because you know, we got in an argument on the way here this morning. That doesn't make you fake. It makes you faithful. You don't go, oh, well, I mean, I just can't, I can't do this, I can't do that, because I, I, I screwed up this week, and I did this or did that, and so God doesn't probably want my worship. No, he wants the sacrifice of praise. I would say that when you lift your hands, and you lift your voice, and you worship God, and you don't feel like it, that might even be a better gift than on the days where it's just easy, breezy, beautiful. I don't know why I said that. I got to get back up here. <laughs> It's dangerous down there with you guys. <laughs> Sacrifice praise. Sacrifice praise. That costs something, and it pleases God. This is the kind of priesthood we are. We have access to God. With it comes responsibility. It's not just about us. It's not just about us enjoying being this royal priesthood. It's about us sacrificing to God and sacrificing to one another. Yeah, we're more in love with God. We're more in love with Jesus. But we want to be more like him, too. And verse 16 said, don't neglect to do good and to share what you have. Such sacrifices please God. So we please God when we serve one another. We please God when we open our house for a small group, even though we don't feel like it after the first week. Right? We please God when we show up. We please God when we serve. We please God when we bring people. We, 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 we please God with sacrifice. Sometimes you sacrifice financially, right? Some of y'all have given camp scholarships or you've, you've pledged to give a camp scholarship to a student 
and you're given that in the coming weeks or whatever for kids camp, youth camp, that's a sacrifice, but it's sowing into this church that God is building where most people come to Christ before age 18. It's fertile ground. And so, man, if it's me, I want to put my investments in fertile ground. I want to get good returns on my investments. And so, man, I, I, I send a kid to camp. It pays off. It makes a difference. You don't have to look any further than your pastor who met Jesus at a camp, right? And so we make these sacrifices. In the coming weeks, during Neighbors and Nations, we're going to have missionaries here. We're going to give them money. Some of you will. Some of you won't. We will. We're going to invest into what God's doing, not just in Poplar Bluff, but, but in, in, in uh, Chi Alpha ministry, in global ministry, university stuff in the States, world missions, U.S. missions. We're going to give into that stuff and sacrifice so that God can build his church. We are living sacrifices. Here's the problem with living sacrifices. It's much easier to work with dead sacrifices, right? It's much easier to lay a dead sacrifice on an altar and walk away and expect it to stay there. Problem with living sacrifices, we have a tendency to want to roll off the altar, to squirm out of it. Here's what I'm talking about. Any of you guys ever, man, I give this to you, Jesus. I'm done with this thing. I don't want to touch it ever again. It's yours, God. You know, I was being kind of dramatic yesterday, and I think I've worked pretty hard, and I kind of deserve it, and it's not a big deal, right? Oh, God, uh, here, I give you this plan. I, I put it in your hands. I, I trust you to see it through. You're going to make, you're going to close doors, open doors. It's yours, a couple days later, well, I guess if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. Well, take this back into my hands, right? We, we are living sacrifices. The problem with that is we tend to roll off the altar. We got to roll back onto the altar. This is why Jesus tells us daily, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It's a sacrifice every day. It's a sacrifice every Sunday. It's a sacrifice every time you go against your sin nature and go with what the Spirit of God inside of you wants. That's a sacrifice. You and I are living sacrifices. Thankfully, we are not carrying all this ourselves. We are not the only ones alive and active and trying to sacrifice. He is working. He is building. He is chiseling. He is molding. He is helping us. We're living stones. We're living sacrifices. Finally, let's look at Jesus as our living standard. Our living standard. Our standard of, of living. How do we measure up? How do we measure our decisions? Who's, who's the standard? Jesus is the living standard. Verse 6 says, it stands in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. You ought to circle this next word, a cornerstone. Chosen and precious, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Just because Jesus is a living stone and we are living stones does not make us the same. He's a special stone. He's the cornerstone. He's the most important part of the building. Again, if you could visit Jerusalem today, you might be amazed to find that at the southeast corner of the temple complex, they still have the cornerstone. Go with me here. It's 39 feet long, okay? 39 feet long, about eight feet wide, 43 inches tall. 
it weighs, that one stone weighs 80 tons or 160 half-ton pickups, okay? Good at math. Not exactly something you want to drop on your toe, right? 80 tons, a cornerstone. It's significant, not just because it's big, but because of what it does. The largest, heaviest stone, the cornerstone, set at the foundation. It, it provides the measurement, the standard, the symmetry for the whole structure. If you don't set the cornerstone right, it might look beautiful. It might look right. But give it some time. Give it some years. And if the cornerstone's not right, it'll lean one way, inward, outward. It'll start to crumble, and eventually it will collapse. You have to have the cornerstone right. Listen, Jesus is not just the cornerstone that God is building his church on. Jesus is the cornerstone that you have to build your life on. And the problem is that for many of us, Jesus is not the cornerstone of our life and our home and our family and our decisions. Jesus is the wallpaper. Is Jesus your cornerstone or is he some wallpaper? Is he some decoration? Is he some part of your life? If you try making Jesus an accessory to your life, if you try making him part of your home, part of your marriage, part of your parenting, your finances, part of your plan, but not the cornerstone, listen, it won't work. You're only going to be frustrated. Jesus is te a terrible accessory. He'll crush everything. He'll ruin everything else. You try adding him to what you got going on. But if he's the cornerstone, then everything else can line up the way that it should. And listen, this is sneaky. Some of us, we build our lives on something that looks a lot like Jesus. Church attendance, some preaching we listen to, our pastor's relationship with God, good old-fashioned morals, these things are not Jesus Christ. Only him, the gospel, is worth building your life on. You cannot build properly on anything but Jesus. And listen, you can't be built properly on anything but Jesus. You'll not be the best version of who God has created you to be built on something else. Built on the cornerstone. Peter says, look, some rejected him. Some rejected him. And certainly, we, our minds go to the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Jews that looked Jesus over and said, nope, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the Christ. There's no way God will build his church on him. Look at him. He eats with sinners. Can't be. And they shouted, crucify him. And we think, oh, what a tragedy that was. But listen, guys, people are rejecting the cornerstone today as much as they ever have. We, we get that choice every day to look him over and decide whether or not he's worth building our lives on. God accepted him. People rejected him. We have the same choice to receive or reject. And here's what's crazy. If we receive him, the world might reject us. If we reject him, the world might welcome us. But he is the only one that will be left standing. Perhaps until today, you've made the wrong choice. You have either built your life totally on something else, or you thought you built it on something like Jesus, and you're realizing now that that wasn't really him. 
or you've made him an accessory wallpaper in your life instead of the foundation, the cornerstone. Today can be different. Today can be different. But you've got to take a step. Look at the first five words that we read. Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to him, come to him. That's where it starts. We come to Christ, come to faith. Jesus said, again, come to me, all of you that are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. You don't have to clean up your act first. You don't have to figure it out first. You don't have to build up an impressive resume. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're frustrated, if you're disappointed, if you're discouraged, Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll make you a living stone. I'll build something out of you. I'll build something out of you. Listen, I don't know about you. I would rather be a little pebble in the home and the kingdom that he's building than have my own Winchester house and be forgotten and it all be meaningless. This morning, would you come to the cornerstone? And as, and as you do, look, if you feel like you don't measure up, that's okay. The good news starts with the bad news that you and I don't measure up. We're fallen, we're sinners. But not only is this stone, Jesus Christ, alive and, and active and strong, but he's loving and he forgives and he builds things that you would never see coming. He wants to build he wants to change your life today. Would you stand with me all over this room? We have leaders that are slipping to the back like they do every week, ready to pray with you, hoping to pray with you, either about the message, your own walk with Christ, or maybe it's for physical healing, or maybe it's for somebody else. They want to pray with you. These altars are open. You can pray by yourself. But we're going to sing a very appropriate song here about Jesus as this foundational part of our lives, Jesus, this cornerstone. Let's put our hope in that. Let's put our rest and our peace in that. Let's trust him today and leave here with a different kind of confidence that, man, if Jesus says he's going to build his church, I want to be on team Jesus, and he's, he's not going to mess up. He's not going to fail. He can build something even using me. Let's participate with what he wants to do. Jesus, would you meet us in this place? Would you take these cold stone hearts and make them warm, make them alive, change us from the inside out, as we set you at the cornerstone of our life. Help us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at bluffhurst.com.